Let's pray together. Lord, we are so touched by the grace of God that extends to us, those who are undeserving. Thank you, Lord, for coming for us and saving us and allowing us to be reconciled with the Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ's work on the cross. And today we come as forgiven people and asking you to allow us to be not only recipients of grace, but also be a giver of grace, of, of being gracious to others as well. Teach us to know how to do your will and to do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship. Today, I want to share with you prayer with the right motive. Last week, it was giving, giving to the needy with the right motive. And that thread, that line continues on today with prayer with the right motive. And I believe there is no other spiritual disciplines as challenging to us as prayer. We preach well, we study God's word well, we do great commissions well, we do missions well, but most churches do not pray well. Churches are known to be Bible teaching, churches are known to be mission oriented, churches are known to be uh, community uh, outreach and community uh, touching and, 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 and moving, but not many churches are known to be a praying church, even though prayer is so essential in our Christian life. Prayer is a spiritual discipline where we communicate with God and listen to God and experience God's presence. Prayer is like a baby born into this world, taking the first breath and the baby has to keep breathing because he or her life depends on it. That's prayer. There's never any doubt that the followers of Jesus must pray and keep praying, but something as essential and beautiful as prayer can be taken quite wrongly with wrong motives. And that's what Jesus is teaching us today. Jesus is teaching us to let prayer be prayer. Nothing more, nothing less. Let prayer be prayer. As pure as that. As simple as that. And with that, I want to take you to the two wrong approaches to prayers. The first one is the pretentious prayer of the hypocrites. And when you pray, the scripture says, you must not like, be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. To pray is expected of all disciples. So Jesus said, when you pray, but it is possible for the hypocrites to turn it into a show into a show hoping for attention. See, to, to stand is not an issue. You can stand, you can sit, you can kneel, you can prostrate. And to pray in synagogues or by the street corners is not an issue because you can pray in church, in prayer meeting, in worship, in your car, while walking, but make sure your eyes are open or any place public or private. But when the motive to pray is to 
put up a show is to draw attention and applause. Now, it is a wrong approach to prayer. You see, any place or any posture will be wrong when the motive is wrong. Any posture or any place is acceptable if the motive is right. There's no specific place, there's no specific postures that, that will bring you even closer or more intimate. They are all acceptable as long as the motive is right. And Jesus said, because of that, truly I say to you, they have received their rewards. What is their rewards? Their rewards is to be seen by others. Nothing more, nothing less. You just get the attention of people. That's it. There's no spiritual impact. There's no spiritual significance in your prayer because all you want is attention for people and Jesus is speaking against that. So the focus is not on the location, on your posture, but really on the, on the right motives. And, and Jesus reminds them that when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you again the same expression as he was dealing with giving, almsgiving, right? Don't let your left hand know the right hand. And when you do it in secret, your father in secret will know that. Again, purity in, in your motives. Not to get attention, and not to get applause, but really to do what giving is giving. Just make giving is giving. And same here, it is to make prayer, prayer. As simple as that. Nothing more and nothing less. So what is the secret place? What is going to your room and shut the door? Uh, it is not speaking against public prayer. It is not speaking against prayer on the stage or, or verbally uh, or, or orally. The secret place is any place that you pray genuinely to God with the right motives. And that place is the place that you will meet the Lord when you pray with the right motive. And of course, you can break about that secret place too. And how secretive you are and how low-key you are right, just to please God and just to be near God and start bragging about that and that will be as bad as standing in a street corner and try to get attention. Because whether in public or in secret, the thing is, don't try to use prayer to get attention or as an indicator of how spiritual you are, but let prayer be prayer, nothing more, nothing less. And Jesus promises to reward those who pray with pure motive. So don't pray like the hypocrites, a pretentious prayer. And secondly, the repetitious prayer of the Gentiles. In verses 7 and 8 says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Here Jesus is attacking the idea that the length of a prayer makes it effective. The rumblings and the repetitious words make it effective. As if, because I'm so sincere, I work so hard, I, I pray so long, you got to listen to me. You have to, you owe it to me. See, prayer is not a transaction. Prayer is to align ourselves with the will of God. The Gentiles often offers 
long prayers and repeat the content over and over again, thinking that they are able to have their prayers to be more effective before their deities. And, and like the hypocrites who were rewarded with all they had was being seen by others, so I believe the Gentiles, most likely, that reward will be just many sound bites, many words, many loud voices, long. That's about it. There's no spiritual significance in there if Christians pray like that. Now, okay, let me remind you, this is not to prohibit praying for the same request. For example, for the past two weeks or a few weeks, we've been praying for coronavirus situation and ask God to intervene and bring healings and bring strength to those infected, uh, just spare the medical personnel to make sure they are able to care for those who are uh, infected by the virus over and over again in every prayer meeting and in worship as well. Jesus is not speaking against praying for the same request. Jesus himself prayed over and over again for the same request in the Garden of Gethsemane when he asked the Father to spare him from that cup of bitterness that's going to the cross, crucifixion. It was so painful to him and to bear the sins of the world and to be, to be humiliated publicly, naked on the cross and die a slow and agony and excruciating death. Jesus asked the Father to spare him one time, two times he asked again, and three times he asked again. Jesus repeating his prayer. And Jesus prayed long. Oftentimes in the Gospels, it was recorded, Jesus prayed the whole night before he called the 12 apostles among the disciples. He was looking for the 12 who will follow him all the way and be able to take up the Great Commissions. And Jesus prayed the whole night because this is a very, very crucial and essential time. Jesus prayed long. Jesus repeated his prayer request. So it is not against that. Again, it is the motives. Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. This is not to discourage us to pray because Jesus followed it with a teaching on how to pray. So we know that Jesus is not against, you know, or discouraging us to pray. But this is a reminder, as one commentator says. This is a reminder that we are children of God we don't need to persuade or manipulate a reluctant God. God is not a reluctant God. Put up many hurdles and say, okay, prove your sincerity. Work hard, pray long, pray many, many words. And maybe I will reward you since you are so sincere. It's not like that. We don't need to persuade or manipulate a reluctant God. Instead, Prayers can be simple and direct because they are already predicated on an established father and child relationships. He's our Heavenly Father. We are His children. And on that basis, in that relationship, we come to Him and He can wait to bless His children according to His will. Not according to your will, but according to the Father's will. God hears us and he will answer our prayer according to his will. So Jesus said, don't pray the pretentious prayer, and don't pray the repetitious prayer. Now Jesus begins to teach the right approach to prayer in verses 9 to 15. And you are familiar with 
the prayers because there are two sections in that in that in the Lord's prayer that we often call it. There's a heavenly part where we uh, exhort the Lord, exhort the Lord uh, in His name, in His kingdom, in His will, and and there is the earthly part which is more human directed, where we pray for our daily bread and and pray for forgiveness and we pray that we will not be led into temptations. Why is Jesus' prayer so attractive to the disciples? To the point they ask Jesus, teach us to pray as John the Baptist taught his disciples. In Luke chapter 11 verse 1, after Jesus prayed, they said, teach us to pray. There must be something in Jesus' prayer that draws our attention and says, I want that. Even though prayer seems to be motionless or in action, just sit, pray, or, or stand, or kneel, and say things to God, and most of us don't enjoy that. We'd rather get things done and do something. But there is something in there that the disciples are drawn by that and say, Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus begins to teach them. Because Jesus is teaching them from his own prayer life. Jesus is not teaching from the book. Jesus is teaching from his life. He prays plenty as he walks in this world. He prays plenty over and over again. And Jesus is offering a model prayer that is simple and direct, rich with theology, rich with God's presence. And he offers two ways uh, in the whole Lord's Prayer. One is we need to honor God in our prayer. We need to honor God in our prayer. Verses 9 and 10. So it's pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in this prayer, Jesus exhorts us to honor God's name and to honor God's kingdom and to honor God's will. See, Jesus addressed God as our heavenly father, our heavenly father. It speaks of a corporate reality of our Christian life. It's not about you. It's not about individuality. It's about us together as a community calling to the same Heavenly Father. And therefore, in the Lord's Prayer, you see our Father, you see our daily bread, you see our debts and our temptations. We share common spiritual experiences together. Even as we stand here and pray for coronavirus of China, the Christians and churches in Wuhan, China, they are also praying to the same Father, to our Father. That's the corporate reality of the Christian life. See, to pray to God is to recognize that God is different from us. God is in heaven above and we are on earth below. God is above all and we are not God. And yet Jesus calls us and invites us to call upon God as Father Theologically, this is how we understand it. We are able to go God the Father because He has created us and He gives us life. And through Jesus Christ the Son, we are redeemed as children of God. 
And through the Spirit of God, He evoked the faith that enables us to recognize Him as the Father. That's why in Romans chapter 8, the Spirit in us moves us to cry out, Abba Father, Heavenly Father, a very intimate address to God. And trusting that He will give good things to His children. So this prayer begins to honor God, honor God's name, honor God's kingdom, and honor God's will. What is, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. God is already holy. We don't need to pray that He will become more holy. What is necessary is that He, His creatures everywhere to recognize and acknowledge His holiness. That's our prayer. Not pray for God to be more holy, but pray for us to be more holy. Pray for us to acknowledge His holiness. When you call the name of the Lord, it means all that is true of God and all that has been revealed concerning God. Who God is, what God has done, and what God is doing. So when we pray, pray hallowed be your name, we are praying that people will re revere God for who He is, for what He has done, for what He is doing. So that we are constantly be aware of God and to be constantly obedient to Him. That's what we pray. Hallowed be your name. What do we pray honor God's kingdom? You see, Matthew Gospel recognizes that the world is the scene of contending forces that hold people captive. The Gospel of Matthew recognizes that people do not live in neutral space. That there are conflicting values and conflicting forces. The power of evil is real. It is manifested in the diseases of the mind, of the heart, and the diseases of the body, like coronavirus. And, and recognizes that the falsehood that people claim are true. It's happening around us because of sin. And that the sin destroys individuals. The sin destroys marriages and families and community and pack nation against nation. Those forces, evil, Satan, the devil, is real. And therefore we are praying. We are praying that God's kingdom will come and God's power will create uh, God's power to create will, will prevail over forces that destroy, destroy mankind, destroy people, destroy community. And we are praying that His power to redeem will bring release from bondage through the Lord Jesus Christ, through His redemptive work on the cross. And we pray that God's kingdom will come through Jesus Christ, who went to the cross, crucified, died, resurrected, ascended to heaven, and then we are praying that God, Jesus, come quickly, come again, and rule, rule in this world, and rule in the universe. Because there are evil forces, sinful forces at play as we live in this world. It was appropriate for Jesus' disciples to pray like that. Because when Jesus began his preaching ministry, he says, 
Behold, the kingdom is at hand. It's coming. It's coming. So they were praying for thy kingdom come. But even today as modern disciples, we continue to pray, thy kingdom come. We anticipate eagerly for Christ's return and to rule and, and to establish the righteous kingdom where he will be the king, where everything will be aligned with his purpose and his will. The kingdom has not yet begun. That's why Jesus' disciples were not, uh, was, was exhorted to pray for the kingdom to come, that he will rule the, the earth. He calls us to honor God's name. He calls us to honor God's kingdom. He calls us to honor God's will. What is God's will? God will include his righteous demands. God is holy. God is true. God is sovereign. God is good. God is loving. And everything is aligned with his will and his purpose. God's will is his determination to cause something to happen according to his will because God is the Lord of history. He's the Lord of the universe. And he permits certain events in history to happen according to his will. And this petition focuses on God's will. And people, once we see God's will, we need to do it. Thy will be done by people. We need to submit to God's will. And in heaven, there's no, there's no issue with God's will. God's will is unopposed because sin and death has no place in heaven. But we recognize that as we live in this world that sin and death are active. And therefore, we are moved to pray that God's life-giving purposes may be carried out on earth as they are in heaven. That's our prayer. That's our plea. God, bring heaven down on earth. Even though the world is not complete, the world is not perfect, and still waiting for your full redemption. But Lord, please, by our plea, bring heaven down in, in whatever ways that they will be aligned with the purpose and be aligned with your will. God is already king of the universe, but his reign, his righteousness has not yet consumed all of his creation. We are praying that God, more and more, more and more, we will do your will. And even as a church, and even as Christians and individuals, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to pray that, Lord, more and more I lift up your name. Lord, more and more that I want to eagerly await the coming of your kingdom. More and more, I want to do your will. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And secondly, by trusting God in our prayers. Now we are moving to the part where we ask Jesus for daily bread, ask Jesus' protection against temptations, and ask Jesus to give us the power to forgive because we are forgiven. It is like the human perspective, but it is still God-directed. That in the second portion of the Lord's Prayer, it is really calling us to trust God, to trust God in our prayer. You know, some believers concluded that prayer should not uh, include anything selfish. So don't, don't pray for yourself. But here Jesus is calling us specifically to mention your needs and to pray. And God will answer according to his will, according to his time. And remember, these three petitions do not stand alone. 
they are connected. They are connected with the with the with the and. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptations, but deliver us from evil. The connecting word to put all these three petitions together, because we need all three of these things equally. We cannot get along without any of them. As Christians or non-Christians, we are facing temptations every day, the need to forgive every day, the need for our daily bread every day. You see, daily bread need for daily bread is really dealing with the present needs. Forgiveness, forgiveness is dealing with the past happening. Something happened in the past, not pleasant. It's hard to forgive. It hurts. Still hurting. The protection against temptation is to deal with a future event. Spare me in case I get into or fall into temptation and sin against you. So in this trusting God in our prayer, it is really calling us to lay our present, our past, and our future before God's throne of grace through prayers. Says that if you forgive others trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is a reiteration of forgiveness that Jesus mentioned. So three things that Jesus is dealing right here: trusting His provision for daily bread, trusting His forgiveness, and trusting His deliverance from temptations. And then finally. In verses 14 and 15, he was reiterating the importance of forgiveness throughout this whole thing. So let's look at trusting his provision for daily bread. Something that we are so familiar, that in fact probably taken the most percentage uh, in our prayers. Most of the time, this is what we pray. We pray for our daily bread. But it doesn't exempt us from labor and hard work. The Bible expects us to work hard and provide for our family, for our individual needs. And God satisfies our needs partially by giving us the ability and opportunity to earn a living. Ultimately, everything comes from Him. And having to live from hand to mouth and one day at a time can be a blessing if it reminds us of our total dependency of God. See, the prayer is seeking bread not only for me, but for us, because we all need the sustenance from God. And you remember when Israelites were in the wilderness, God provided manna from heaven every day. You can't store it. Every day there is sufficiency in the food supply. You can gather what you need for your whole family, but you can't store it. You can store it, but it turns bad. It will not work for tomorrow. And every day you have to trust God for His provision. And every day He faithfully provided when they walked through the wilderness experience. This is a petition to remind us that we need to rely on what we receive from the giver and can only be stewarded as a gift of God.
You see, God already knows our need even before we ask. So, human daily needs are not contingent on their faithfulness in prayer. It doesn't depend on you pray every day and therefore food comes. Every day, food comes. God already knows you need food. He created you and me that we need food and we need daily bread. And it's not depending on whether you pray or not because God is a gracious God. So to pray for our daily bread, a daily need, the underlying teaching is to trust God and to seek first His kingdom and not to worry about tomorrow, today and let tomorrow take care of itself because God is good all the time and all the time God is good. That is the foundation. That is the basis for praying for and trusting His provision and pray for our daily bread. And secondly, trusting His forgiveness. He reminds us that we forgive us our debts and we also have forgiven our debtors. But let me remind you, we do not earn forgiveness by forgiving others. We don't earn forgiveness. Forgiveness is given by God, by His grace. We forgive others because God has forgiven us. And we feel compelled to extend that grace the gracious act from God to others who have offended us. That's why we forgive. It is so important to, to exercise forgiveness that it is being reiterated in verses 14 and 15. He says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not, your fathers will not either. Forgiveness is a hard, hard spiritual discipline that we need to learn by God's grace and remember God's grace. Only then we are able to extend that to other people. It is a matter of the heart because God has forgiven us and therefore we grant forgiveness to others who sin against us. You know, in this passage, it reminds us that forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. But verses 14 and 5 says, you forgive others their trespasses. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1 and following, when Jesus also in the Gospel of Luke talks about the Lord's Prayer, he talks about forgive us of our sins. So sins and trespasses and debts are used commonly to express sin. The assumption is that sin is like a debt that is owed to God and is beyond our capacity to repay. We can't. Only through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you remember that great chorus of that song, Jesus pay it all, all to Him I owe. Jesus pay it all. When we talk about forgiveness and how relationships can be defined by Forgiveness, when people accumulate hurts and, and grievances, and that often defines the relationship that we have with one another. To forgive is not to say that what has transpired doesn't matter. Rather, it is to say that the wrongs that have occurred no longer define the relationship. We want it to be a different relationship, not a hateful one, 
not a silent one, not a protest one, but we want it to be different. And how can that happen if not for the fact that God begins the process of opening up the future for new relationship by His act of forgiveness? And because of that, those who have received forgiveness from God then in a position to extend it to other people. It's hard, but it's possible only by the grace of God. We need to trust God for His provision, His forgiveness. We need to trust God for His deliverance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, James chapter 1, verse 13 says, God will not lead His children into temptation. Only Satan tempts us to sin against God, to rebel against God. God doesn't tempt us. God tests us. God tests us to strengthen us, to empower us so that we can be stronger and we can be drawn to Him. So some translation of the Bible find it very, very difficult and challenging to translate, lead us not into temptation. So one possible explanation is to see the temptation as testing God. That is to pray that the children of God will not test God by doubt and challenge God's honor in the midst of trials and suffering. Just like when Satan tempted Jesus to jump from the pinnacle of the temple to prove that he's the son of God. And Jesus responded by saying, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You don't test God. You don't doubt God. You don't challenge God's honor. Of course, this petition is not to spare Christians from, from trials and sufferings which we will face sooner or later, but really for protection in trials so that the disciples are not tested beyond what you can bear. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 reminds us that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it, lest he or she put God to the test. And that's why Jesus reminds His disciples in the Garden of the Gethsemane and say, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And He read it. He reiterated in verses 14 and 15, says you have to forgive because the Father has forgiven you. Basically, he's saying a forgiving, a forgiven person is a forgiver. A forgiven person is also a forgiver. We are forgiven and we learn how to forgive others. Let me just summarize the message simply in this saying. Jesus teaches us that our prayers should be motivated by honoring and trusting God. Simple and direct. God-directed and human-directed. Heavenly-directed, earthly-directed, but simple and direct as Jesus taught them and taught us how to pray. You know, when we come to here, um, hopefully we become more clear in what, what does the Lord's prayer mean to us. But the key of Jesus' teaching on prayer is not to understand prayer more, but to pray more. It's not to understand prayer more, 
but it is really to exhort us to pray more, to stay close to Him, to communicate with God through Christ. I want to share two thoughts with you to take home and apply in your lives. One, uh, we really don't pray enough. We need to pray more. You know, we talk about the motives, right? To stand in the public place and, and, and to pray in the synagogues and try to uh, draw attention to themselves. But a much more common problem in Christian uh, is that we are too self-conscious. We are afraid. We are unwilling uh, to pray in public. We are quite willing to oblige by Jesus' exhortation to pray in secret, right? Most of us pray in secret. And one of my greatest fears as a new Christian is to be called upon spontaneously to pray in public. That was, that was uh, so intimidating to me because I have not grown deep enough with the relationship with God to allow me to pray spontaneously. And praying aloud uh, was even harder because I was afraid how people would judge me and how people would grade my prayer. It's like it's not good enough. We need to pray more. We need to pray more. And, and one of the reasons why our prayer um, uh, is so impoverished is because we only focus on the daily bread and we mainly neglecting forgiveness. We mainly neglecting to pray for the ability to stand up against temptation to test God. And we, most of our time, neglected to pray and worship God of God's name and God's kingdom and God's will so that we can be aligned with God's purposes. And, and no wonder we have not much to say in our prayers because it is very, very narrow and it is only focusing most of the time with our daily needs and daily, daily bread. I want to encourage you to expand, expand your horizon, expand your content uh, in, in prayers as Jesus has taught us uh, in the Lord's Prayer. Don't just skip the first part of the prayer and jump right into the second part, but pray as Jesus has taught us. And remember, revival is always preceded by a renewed passion for prayer. In Acts chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, the early disciples get together in the upper room and pray. And chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and filled them, and they were empowered to carry out the great commission of going and baptizing and teaching God's word to the nations. And remember, spiritual warfare is real. In Mark chapter 9, verse 29, Jesus reminded his disciples, there's a certain kind of demons that cannot be cast out except by prayer. Most of the demons can be cast out in the name of Jesus alone. But that particular demon, Jesus says, you need to pray. Pray, then you can cast out that demon. Spiritual warfare is real, and therefore we need to pray. And secondly, praying together helps us to grow in our prayer life. I really believe in that. Because most of the time as we pray alone, we don't last. We lose heart. We give up. We are discouraged easily. You see, deep in our hearts, we, we want to pray to God. We yearn to know God more in our prayers, but we are discouraged all the time. 
We don't pray because things still get done. Without prayer, things still get done. We don't pray because the answer to prayer is still unknown, still waiting. What happened? We don't pray because prayer contributes very little to the material world. We don't pray because we look at prayer as a pep talk and cheerleading. We pray only when we have exhausted every means to solve our problems. That's when we begin to pray. And prayer is reduced to a 911 call to God. So our prayer hotline, 911 hotline prayer, is silent most of the time because there is no emergency. You don't need to use that service. Is that a description of your prayer life? It is like some collegians who only call home when there's a financial need. Otherwise, this will disappear. And, and parents basically reduced to an ATM machine. Right? Is that a picture or depiction of how our prayer lives is? Now, Jesus is not trying to shame us. Jesus is not trying to discourage us. Jesus is not trying to rebuild us. Jesus is trying to inspire us and say, this is how you can pray. Come and pray. Come and pray to me. And this is my encouragement to you too. Draw near to God. Pray to Him. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that the same inspiration that you have given to the disciples, you gave them a model so that they know how to pray and they are willing to pray. I pray that the same effect is coming to us today. Lord, we are a Bible teaching church. We are a mission emphasis, mission directed church and we love to serve, but we are not a praying church. And Lord, we want to repent before you and ask you to help us to grow in our prayer life. Just as the early disciples coming to you and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And this morning we come to you and say, Lord, teach us to pray and help us to experience the power of prayer and the intimacy that draws from prayer as we come before you. In Jesus' name, amen.